You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. All right, folks, welcome back. Very excited to start a new year, 2020, and our first discussion of the year with NCQA President Peggy O'Kane. Given that we are in the early stages of the new year, I'd ask you a couple questions uh, related to sort of the big picture and what Mm -hmm. you see coming up in this year. So what are you excited about, the opportunities and the uh, areas where we might see growth and progress? I think we're all kind of aware of new ways of delivering care that are enabled by technology, in particular information technology with artificial intelligence and so forth. You know, you see kind of these, it still feels like the science project stage, but um, you can see that there is a new paradigm of healthcare that's going to be coming. And um, I don't know who's going to really run with it. You have to be in a payment model where when you save money or you do things more efficiently, you actually make more money. So that's not the model in healthcare today. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, there are some very giant companies kind of hovering out there and creating, I think, some appropriate nervousness in healthcare. But I think also there will be companies that are, you know, incumbents in the, both the plant space and in the delivery system space who are experimenting with this stuff and will do some amazing things. So as you know, and maybe our audience doesn't know, NCQA is in the process of trying to reorganize ourselves for this new future. We are recruiting for a chief product officer. So if anybody listening out there is interested, go look on our website. Uh, we're also recruiting for a an, uh, new products person or innovation person. So that's kind of the break the mold kind of things into completely new space. So it's been... You know, it's been a challenge because we've had to move some things around within the company, but I'm really excited about where we're headed. And I have no illusions that it won't be hard. Everything that's worthwhile is hard, but I'm really pumped about where we're headed. Great. Well, let's talk a little bit about that change in direction or the reorganization. So how is it different for NCQA, which has broken a ton of new ground, Mm -hmm. really started as a... Uh, innovator because right. the, the space didn't really exist. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so how is it different for NCQA to step back and say, we're going to actually empower an individual or a team to to focus solely on innovation as opposed to the way things have operated previously? Yeah, I mean, I think we've been in a kind of iterating mode, you know, kind of like, here's the current product. How can we tweak the current product? To some extent, we've done some adjacent products that are kind of uh, related to the original product, but we really haven't kind of broken out of the sort of boundaries of our visions, you know, in the past. And and as I have been watching what's going on in healthcare, I feel like we were never going to get there on that path, and so we have to do some... I don't want to say great leap forward, <laughs> yes. um, but we, we have to we have to break some molds. We have to disrupt ourselves to some extent. Sure. So you you reference that there may be some um, big newcomers on the block uh, in healthcare, healthcare quality, uh, et cetera. Um, who who might those be, and what do you think they can bring to the table that the incumbents, um, for all their great work, maybe aren't currently bringing? 
well, I, it's Fang, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> Facebook, Apple, uh, Netflix, uh, not so Google, much. Yeah. Uh, Google, Amazon. They're going to be offering health plans. That's pretty disruptive. Mm -hmm. Facebook, I don't know. Um, Google, for sure. You know, lots of talented people have gone there. Karen DeSalvo, um, you know, the former head of ONC, is, is now there. Um, you know, they have, like, lots of money. You know, a, an enviable position in terms of being able to experiment with new things. So does Apple. So does Amazon. So, uh, and they are... I would say somewhat unencumbered by the way things have always been done, and that is a big challenge. Interesting for those and that are that are encumbered. Yes, and uh, interesting in that those companies you mentioned and and others in the, in their realm are sort of ubiquitous in our lives outside yes. of healthcare. Yes, and so it would make sense that at some point they looked around and said. Well, look, healthcare is 17% of GDP. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're, we've saturated some of these other markets, entertainment and others, although they're always evolving and innovating. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe we have something to say yeah. or something to contribute yeah. to that yeah. uh, portion, a very large portion of the right. economy. Right. Um, what do you think is common among those types of entities that you've described, the FANGs, et cetera? that you think they'll apply to healthcare. So relentless pursuit of innovation. And you know, I think it's it's very impressive to see what they've been able to do. I mean, I worry about it too. Let me also say I'm not all, you know, starry-eyed because I think concentration of market power is a terrible force in healthcare. And that's I mean, that's true currently among the incumbents with all the mergers of you know, all the different players. Um, often, if you're in a particular town, you don't really have a choice of where you're going. And it doesn't allow any kind of market forces to work. If, for example, I'm a hospital and um, I'm wedded to all the other hospitals in the area and I have clauses in my contract that say that you can't, you know, keep one of the hospitals in our brotherhood out because their quality is poor, for example. So there are advantages of bigness, but I think for a society, I think we also have to be extremely worried about the downsides of this concentration of power. So that's uh, something to keep our eye on, even as we welcome these new players. These new players are anything but small or um, uh, you know, uninvolved right. in our lives already, and right. so opening the healthcare market to them involves some And I would say, I mean, just to be a little controversial, uh, the sort of tech bro culture that's prevalent in many of these companies, I think, could do some damage in healthcare. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, so I think people that are young and heavily male and haven't been involved with taking care of any relatives or, you know, there's a, there's a whole side of life that creates some of the heart of healthcare that I hope they're worrying about how they're going to get that. Mm -hmm. I just hope that. That is uh, somewhat provocative, but also certainly very relevant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you welcome in these new players, but they don't have the experience or necessarily the heartfelt commitment to, to care right. that is essential. And I wouldn't, I don't want to go too far in that mm -hmm. direction because I think um, many of us in healthcare, I think we've grown used to things that are really not 
uh, not acceptable. Yeah. It's not only the newcomers, but yeah. I do worry that that tech bro culture is a little bit arrogant. And um, I hope that there is plenty of attention to this part of, yeah. the, of the equation. So a balancing act, like mm-hmm. many things, but exciting, as you say, in that they're bringing a mindset and technologies that uh, could very well help us crack some of these issues that have been uh, stuck for mm-hmm. so long. Mm-hmm. So what else? What else do you see that excites you about 2020? And then we'll get to some of the concerns you might have. I mean, we've, I've already talked about some of the concerns, the consolidation, right? And, the, you know, the kind of, you know, what will we see with the new entries? Are, are, are they going to depersonalize health care? You know, so that's a concern. I mean, I'm also excited about trying to get out of the box in terms of quality measurement. I was just listening to a podcast on my way in this morning, and somebody was saying that the, there was some evidence that certain drugs lower blood pressure, but they don't actually affect outcome. So we really need to be pushing beyond um, the kind of the current evidence base and the assumptions that we make. I think I've been very... Uh, concerned that we not blunder in to outcomes measurement and then hold people accountable for things they can't affect. But I do think we have to be more rigorous about holding process measures more accountable for outcomes. That's an interesting perspective and Mm -hmm. probably one that some would be surprised at coming from NCQA and the president of NCQA. And I I think, again, on a somewhat controversial topic, I think opioids and the um, provision of opioids and the tracking and all of the issues that go with that and the crisis that um, has been consuming us for several years now around opioids is another area where it's not cut and dry. Less is not necessarily better. Um, uh, the ability to... um... I think less is better. Let me just stop you right (laughs) there. Because if you look at prescribing patterns in Europe and so on, uh, people are doing okay with a lot fewer. I mean, so we're still living with the residual of the over... Sure. uh, You know, the massive campaign that went on to get people on these drugs. And I appreciate that clarification. I guess... um, I there mean, are yes, cases there are possible where, unintended consequences yes, where people but, have, uh, you know, uh, painful conditions and so forth, and they need pain relief. Yes. And, you know, so, again, I mean, any kind of blunt instrument is going to do damage. Um, we, we actually, um, we're proud of some work we've been doing for CMS on disparities uh, uh, in use of opioids with African Americans. And people that with sickle cell have a lot of pain associated with it. And so they were not excluded from opioid measures, prescribing measures, and that meant they were having a harder time having their pain controlled. Mm -hmm. And we went and looked at that and did some analyses for CMS, and the policy has now been changed. So the measure is changed, and they are in the denominator. You know, that's not that many people that have sickle cell, but it's, you know, it's a lifelong condition. And with measurement, you're always having to be vigilant about unintended consequences and thing that, things that you just never expected. Sure. You've talked about a couple of times uh, this morning about the dangers of concentration and um, of large players being able to sort of dictate the terms and, and right. take out really any sort of right. competitive um, uh, element of in healthcare. Yeah. So. Obviously, there's no one answer to addressing that issue, but but who has the I think leverage? there's an answer. 
okay, price controls. Price controls. I, I mean, I think, and we have to think about, you know, are we talking about, we don't want to sort of freeze ourselves into free, fee-for-service, right? Medicare sets prices, so things cost less. Uh, on Medicare than they do. And even on Medicare, we're paying an astonishing amount of money. So I think that part of the reason people have merged and become so big is just so they have better bargaining power. And so there's a there's a public policy for that. Okay, so that that sort of gets at where I was going with this was the question was who has the leverage to really change that? So CMS theoretically the federal government. Yes. Okay, and and they have both leverage as a policymaker, but also as a a purchaser, the the largest purchaser. Um, Employers, obviously, an area where we've. um, uh, I think employers could be part of uh, a generalized political agenda to make it happen. I think any individual employer in general doesn't have the uh, the market power yep. to affect yep. okay. what they're paying. And then consumers obviously as don't. individuals don't. Mm-hmm. And this gets to some of the solutions that have been floated even by the uh, normally market-oriented Trump administration, for example, uh, they're pushing for hospitals to uh, make their pricing uh, public. Yeah. Well, and I have nothing against that. I just don't think it's going to solve the problem. Okay. So, Um, so, I mean, I think you should hang your head in shame if you're charging some ridiculous amount of money, um, and people should know about it. But for most people, you're not going to the hospital because it's, it's kind of optional. You're going because there's some very serious reason, usually, uh, why you need to be there. Or, you know, that's not always true. But in general, you're not in a position to negotiate. You know, where you go is going to be related to where your doctor is associated with or might, you know, the, the specialists with whom your primary care doctor is used to working so you're going to listen to your doctor, and, and it's going to cause you some distress if your doctor says go to hospital A, but then you look online and you see what the costs are. It, th- there's a complication to that mm-hmm. um, that I think it's not straightforward. Okay. I, so I think it's been overhyped as a solution to the yeah. general problem. Yeah, and as we've said, if there is one hospital in your market, or, or effectively one or two hospitals or hospital systems, uh, regardless Good of luck. whether you know their prices, yeah. you're paying them. Because, that's right. That's right. Because that's, uh, that's what's available. Right. Okay. So concerns. Uh, let me float one that I think you will uh, have and, and mm-hmm. that uh, most or a lot of folks are talking about in lieu of uh, or in the wake of um, some court uh, movements, the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. Its future... I do worry about it. You know, it's been chipped away. Um, I think it's harder and harder. You know, I don't agree with attempts to undermine it. Um, I think my daughter gets her plan through an exchange, and the prices have been going up, you know, so, and I'm subsidizing her. Thank goodness it's there, right? Yeah. So I hope we can try to salvage it and and buttress it in the ways that it needs to be supported. Mm Mm-hmm. And let's continue to cover people and make it, you know, make it worth their while to pay a premium um, and not have deductibles that are standing in their way and so forth. So there is a lot to be done to make it better. Mm -hmm. And some of the reasons people are irritated with it are just legitimate reasons. 
you know, I'd like to see every American have coverage. I'm not in favor of Medicare for all, just to say it. I think some of the best functioning systems in the world are not single payer in the in the way that Medicare for all proposals are. And so I also think, you know, there's just too much arguing going on sure. about the niceties or the fine points. Sure. Um, and they're, they're like a big glaring issue. Sure. So. And at the end of the day, whatever comes following it, if you all of a sudden, if a court all of a sudden pulls the plug on the Affordable Care Act, you're going to have millions of people who have coverage, subsidized or otherwise, yes. who will lose it. And there'll yes, be I was a, in denial about that point. <laughs> and yes. there'll be and there'll be a certain amount of chaos, even again if it's restored in certain states or if yeah. there's a, some other uh, solution. No, I, that that never yeah. works. It never seems works. like it. Uh, it seems like almost anyone would agree that's uh, suboptimal. So mm-hmm. um, we will see where that uh, goes. There are a number of health policy issues that I believe, and I believe NCQA uh, sees as uh, important to elevate or address this year in ways that maybe they haven't been in the past. So what do you see as those? Uh, well, I mean, the burden of measurement, I think we need to take that very seriously. Um, I, as you know, we're working on specifying data in a way that allows data to flow from the delivery system through to the plans and so forth. That is a very complicated situation. It's not a magic bullet. We're very committed to working that, and we need more help from other big players, from bigger players than we are, uh, to move that forward. So, you know, we continue to talk to ONC and to CMS. I think we're all in generally the same frame of mind that, that if we got the data to flow right, it would be a big help. There are still too many measures that are not, you know, aligned. I know that some of the big payers who have had their own measures are talking about trying to get themselves on the same page. I think that's great. So, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done, and I think the first point is it has to be taken seriously. If we undermine, I've said this before on these podcasts, I think, if we undermine people's enthusiasm about quality to put it in a positive way, the people who deliver the care are the ones who really are going to drive the quality. Sure. So we need them. Well, that, and that's interesting. So, um, again, maybe some surprise that uh, NCQA would be saying that the burden of measurement needs to be addressed. I'm not surprised, but there might be a perception that... Um, I, I mean, think- I also want to draw a distinction between primary care doctors, who I think are really the most beleaguered, and some specialists who I think are just not used to being measured or held accountable in any yeah. way. So um, I and, won't and say any more about that. But I think it's it's not a horrible problem everywhere. But sure. it is a problem that we need to address. And to that point, it's nuanced. There is It is not a question of we must measure less. It's a question of we must measure some uh, areas of the market, maybe a little less, some more, mm-hmm. but smarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's what I hear when you right. talk about um, reducing measure burden by um, improving the technology right. through which and the right. systems through which right. we we measure. So exciting opportunities, I think, mm-hmm. abound there. And I know that NCQA is focused on those. Yeah. One issue I know that you are very passionate about and that NCQA, at least internally, is is attempting to tackle is maternal mortality and the outcomes, of, which are really shocking. And, and I think that... Particularly for African-American sure. women, right? I think that issue has become um, 
it's it's no longer a secret. I think that you know mm-hmm. you see the drumbeat of stories about mm-hmm. the declines in uh, outcomes there, but I'm not sure that a policy agenda around addressing the problem has really emerged. What what do you see as an opportunity there in 2020? Personally, think this is there's not some silver bullet as usual. Um, I think. We need to understand the co- the differential causes of uh, disparities in birth outcomes. I think Michigan, as a Medicaid program, we've had a guest from Mission yeah, Michigan, Tom Curtis. Tom yeah. Curtis. I really admire their can-do attitude, and they're pushing it down to the plan level and wanting to see, you know, who can make a dent. So I think we need to understand the problem better before we run off with a solution. I don't feel like we understand the epidemiology of it yet. And so I think we need to turn our attention to it. We need to be very uh, determined to get to the bottom of what are the multiple causes, because I'm sure there are multiple causes, and go for it. But we need to really understand first. And that's always true when you're trying to do quality improvement. So speaking of multiple causes, uh, social determinants of health is another sort of uh, buzzword, buzz term in healthcare. That again, while it's getting a decent amount of attention, how those determinants are successfully addressed is, I think, very much. I think you may know that I have a little bit of a, um, I don't know, not the usual thinking about this. Here's here's my thinking: Mm -hmm. healthcare is stealing from our economy by its inefficiency. No, there there are not a lot of bad actors, but uh, well, some of the people who price gouge are bad actors. But we are spending so much of our national money, and particularly of our public monies, on health care, that it's stolen from education, playgrounds, you know, parks, housing is a way of, that I look at it. And so we know that if people don't have access to decent housing, for example. What is a health plan going to do? I mean, really. Uh, so, I I, I really want to go back to the the actual underlying problem, which is poverty and a failure of our public sector to deal with it. In the meantime, I think the responsibility of healthcare is to meet the patient where the patient is and do whatever can be done mm-hmm. to optimize their health. But and and I think there's a lot of great work going on with this. So I uh, overall I think it's been great, but I also want us not to forget the underlying problem. Though I think that's a very valuable perspective, and and so it's about, I guess another way of saying it is you're going to pay if if you want to elevate and provide um, something resembling equal opportunity for health, prosperity, et cetera, to everyone you're going to pay for it in one form or another as a society. Uh, I think you're suggesting we've, um, we maybe because of health care costs, maybe because of other issues. Yeah, like no, well, unwillingness to pay taxes. Sure. Yeah, that's so in there. for whatever reason, we may have shortchanged some of those support systems that uh, are necessary that to create. That made people healthy in the first place sure, or exactly. that enabled them to be healthy. And, I, now, we're, and now we're deciding uh, potentially as a, uh, by way of health care policy to provide mm-hmm. those things through health plans or right. through Medicaid right. departments. 
that may or may not be a great yeah. decision, but it has to be considered in the context yeah. of of um, right. of what you've laid out. That right. that is, a, I think, an interesting perspective, and mm-hmm. and I don't think it. Uh, takes away from any of the efforts to to as you say meet those folks where right. they are right. um, and to elevate their uh, health care and and other elements of mm-hmm. their lives um, but it's not something you hear voiced quite in that way very yeah. often any other issues that you think need to be elevated in 2020 or addressed in a way that they well I been? think we've got a really big list here of really almost intractable problems. So so if we could really make some progress, well, I would like to just put in another plea for uh, value-based insurance design. You know, one of the things about big tech companies is they're pretty secretive about what they're working on, but something leaked about Amazon's uh, health plan, and apparently uh, it will be value-based insurance design with low deductibles and so forth. Yeah, so, I think maybe they were even talking about no deductibles. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I hope that will create some competitive pressure that will take us away from some of the crazy high deductibles we currently have. Yeah, and I, th- if I remember correctly, they're talking about at least their original offering would be for just for their own workforce and um, assuming they're self-insured, which I'm well, them and J.P. Morgan and sure, Berkshire yeah, Hathaway, and maybe right. as part of that yeah. um, larger venture. Mm-hmm. But that really does sort of cut out the middleman in the sense that um, if, as I believe you would agree, value-based insurance design and incentivizing of the things that will actually yeah. make you healthier right. in the long term. If you're the payer mm-hmm. as well as the provider of care or the the, the facilitator of right. care, um, it makes a ton of sense to do right. so. There is a very simple uh, mathematical uh, mm-hmm. equation by mm-hmm. which you can say, this makes sense for me. Mm-hmm. Never mind that yeah. it's also good for my workforce. So maybe they've, uh, they've found a way uh, to... No, let's just be honest, though, about it, because I think one of the reasons it hasn't caught on is because it puts you in arguments with your employees. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, so if your doctor, you know, wants to do something like back surgery to you and you're not really, you really are not going to benefit, in fact, you're probably going to be harmed... You may believe with all your your being that this is what's going to make you better, and that's why we have so much back surgery and bad outcomes of back surgery. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a value-based insurance design that's going to say, okay, you can have it, but you're going to pay for half of it or whatever, that's going to be controversial. And yeah. so having people lined up outside of the HR department um, with their complaints is a is a nightmare that employers really are loath to get into. Sure. So I think there's a deceptive simplicity to kind of having high deductibles that just kind of has led to no arguments. Sure. So uh, among other uh, developments, literally hot off the presses as of uh, yesterday, I believe, uh, CMMI announced a new director in uh, Brad Smith. He's been involved in the palliative care space, Mm -hmm. which I know is one that you feel is crucial to, obviously, to healthcare as a whole. But what you think the opportunities are in uh, for CMMI to advance some of the things either that we've been talking about or or other pressing issues, or um, what you know about Aspire and and Brad Smith's work there. I mean, I've only heard great things about Aspire. um, mostly from plans that contract with them. Although we had a we had a, a serious illness work group, and there was representation from Aspire there. You know, it's an interesting model. Um, I think 
having lived through both my parents' deaths, I think families are often really at, a, at a loggerheads with what to do at the end of life. And having professionalized services with good caregivers and so forth can be a tremendous load off a family and, and even off the patient. I'm remembering my father being so relieved when we got involved with a hospice program for it, which is somewhat different. But so I think it's kind of a win-win. I mean, it's terrible when health care, which is supposed to relieve suffering, actually causes more of it. And I think that's the situation often in these uh, end-of-life scenarios. So I think it's a great space to be coming from. I think we really haven't figured out how to think about care for the elderly. There are lots of interesting experiments, and CMMI has done a number of them, but uh, I don't feel like there's kind of a, a, you know, a model or framework that's moving things in the right direction. It just feels like a lot of one-offs. Um, and I also worry that there are kind of naive assumptions about, for example, how many people can actually be cared for in their homes. I think many can, and for those that can and want to, that's great. But, you know, if someone has, you know, end-stage dementia, that's not going to work and, and so forth. So I feel like it's, a, it's an area of health policy where there's been tremendous work but we're just not at a consensus about what needs to be done, and I hope Brad can help move that forward. Great. Okay, so to wrap up, it is again early January. We're all hopefully at least keeping to our resolutions. Uh, do you have any uh, personal or professional New Year's resolutions you want to share with yeah, the I'm audience? Yeah, I'm trying to lose weight, I've, and I, I was telling you that I've lost 15 pounds already. Congratulations. And, uh, yep, and I think... This is an area where a health plan could be really helpful. Healthcare in general, the technology of weight loss is is very naive in healthcare. It's just like eat less, move more, <laughs> and I think it's more complicated than that. I mm -hmm. won't go into it, but um, you know, I've been trying some other things like Great. intermittent fasting mm -hmm. that are really working. Great. Yeah. And so I guess gets into dietitians and, and recommendations. It's not really dietitians because or... I don't know that dietitians are on board with the new, okay. these new approaches. Um, but there are large populations out there who want to do something. Yes. And, um, yeah. you know. and the old the, or the traditional way isn't yeah. working for you. Yes, them. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, congratulations. You're uh, off to a great start <laughs> on that one. And listeners, you're off to a great start by beginning 2020 with by joining us for another Peggy O'Kane podcast. So thank you for doing so, and we will see you all uh, down the road in 2020. Thank you.